0: Welcome home. You're listening to the Life Center Rainier Weekend Message. Well, it is good to be together. How many of you are happy to be here this morning? Come on. Oh, yeah, me too. And uh, we're going to uh, engage in a, a, a new collection of conversations. And, and this is a new sermon series that we're kicking off today called Paradigm Shift. Paradigm Shift. And, and what I know about a, a, a paradigm is, is a definition, is a pattern or framework or perspective that we see life through. And then a shift is to put to a side or to replace now we're we're going to engage in a portion of scripture in Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6 and 7 and this portion of scripture is is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus' words as he goes up on the mountainside and he shares with great multitudes and he shares great instruction. And his words are key. A lot of uh, uh, theologians and historians would say these are probably the greatest preaching that this world has ever known. Because it's straight from the word of God in the bread of life. To the people from physical manna to spiritual manna, as we intake these spiritual truths, we hear the word of life that became flesh, and we get to allow it to be imparted into our life in our flesh, that we would live this thing out every day. Amen? And so we're going to journey over the next uh, five weeks in this course of conversations, and we hope that this will help us understand the gift God has given us that we can see things a little bit differently than the world sees things. How many of you were alive in the 90s? Come on. How many of you were not alive in the 90s? Yeah. Wow. Barely? 90s babies, where are you at? It's so interesting to me. Like my kids now are so into the same things I was into. Ninja Turtles, right? Marvel Comics, right? Yeah. Like timeouts, same thing I was into. Yeah. And uh, I just remember as a kid, uh, I'd go to the mall. Come on, Tacoma Mall, where you at, right? Yeah. South Hill ain't got nothing on you, Tacoma. And that's uh, <laughs> okay, I like South Hill too. Or people used to. I'm more of an Amazon guy these days. <laughs> you can click it. Amazon Prime, a couple days. There's actually Amazon Hurry, Faster Than Prime. What's it called? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But I used to go to the mall, and I remember as a young person, there was this one kiosk, and they had these pictures. And these pictures were made up of all these dots, dense population of dots throughout the whole page. And then you'd have to look at this picture for a period of time before you could actually see what was in the picture. Does anybody remember these things? Yeah. And so you had to, like... You had to allow your lazy eye to go back. You know, you had to do a little, like, actually, and and, and the guy would coach you, like, work in the kiosk, because he's trying to sell these things, right? And he's like, You got to look through the picture. I was like, I ain't got x ray vision, man. How do you do that? He goes, just relax your eyes. And they always had an accent, right? Relax your eyes. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to buy this just because you sound cool. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't have any money, so uh, it was before Jesus. I might have stole it if he wasn't watching. But uh, <laughs> and, and so you had to look at this thing for a long time. And I remember my friends seeing it. Oh, I see it. I see it. I was like, do you see it? I was like, yeah, yeah, I see it like, what is it? I was like, it's a hamster on a wheel going 90 miles an hour. Like, I hope he hangs on. (laughs) They're like, that's not what it is. It's three dolphins jumping through a rainbow. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was a hamster wheel, man. Oh, my bad. And it took some time before I was able to see what they were saying, and in this reality of this life is that Jesus is going to say some things here, and he says, maybe you've heard it like this, but I say it like this, and he flips this paradox, this paradigm ultimately comes in now and, and shifts our perspective to see this life and this world and our assignment to be something completely different than face value, Now, the things of God aren't things that we can see in the natural. We have to look to them and see them in the supernatural. We have to see them with the eyes of Christ. We have to see them through the lens of the the giver of life. And then we can start to see this world the way that Jesus sees this world. Then we can start to see people the way that Jesus sees people. And now we can start to understand that there's blessings in this life that we thought maybe were burdens at one time. And what this world will say are ultimately curses. Jesus says, no, 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 count those as blessings. And when he flips this whole thing on its head, he shifts our paradigm and allows us to not live our lives based on what we see in the natural but now he allows us to see things in the supernatural. And so we can see and perceive things bigger than us, beyond us. We can start to understand the words that Jesus gives us. He starts saying some things in this portion of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. will be in Matthew chapter 5 today. And the first portion of scripture I want to read to you um, is, is in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. And the topic that we're touching on today is persecution, how many of you are excited you came to church today? <laughs> Let me sign up for persecution, Pastor. Absolutely. With a sight of suffering. <laughs> and uh, the title of my, my talk, if you're a note taker, write this down. The Persecution Perspective. The Persecution Perspective. We're gonna go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. In 44, he says it like this. You have heard it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Come on, what would the world say to you? Love those who love you and hate those who hate you. Right? That's it. That's called the path of least resistance because if there's any resistance, I'm out. Deuces, peace. I'm, I'm gone. You want to resist me? You want to hate on me? Haters are going to hate, right? Lovers are going to love and I'm going to shake, shake, shake. Come on, What? It's the prophetess, T. Swift. <laughs> but this world will say yes. Just, you know, love your family, love your neighbors, love those that love you. And, and, and those that reject you and hate you, that's fine. They're loss. Jerks. Can you say that in church? Yes, there's a jerk alert going on right now. And uh, that's from a movie, Goonies, if you've ever watched it. Watch it on TBS so it's the edited version. But he says, You heard it said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse forty-four it says, "But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." Um, excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> you want me to love my enemies and pray for the people that persecute me? That ain't gonna happen, Captain. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do that. No. Do you understand how rude? how antagonistic, how oppositional, how defiant, how difficult these people are. Do you know what that looks like? I know. How long have you endured it? How long have you dealt with it? How hard has it been? Tell me all about it because I took all of it on the cross. And so he says, you gotta see things As I see things you got to see people as I see people you have to shift your perspective and you can't continue to lean on the lens of this world but you have to allow a heavenly life to list us into this life in a different means in a different perspective and start to see it as he sees it and a life in Jesus is better but it's not always easier and maybe you've been given a, 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 a false narrative Maybe you've been told that there's a gospel out there that's going to get you out of your problems and give you everything you want, but that's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is seeing what the world would see as curses and counting them as blessings. And that is not easy. (laughs) And you can't do that on your own. You cannot do that on your natural. I cannot do that in the natural. We can only do that in the supernatural. And when we lean in and start to love as he loves and see as he sees, we start to understand this life is not my own. I play a small part in the big picture of the kingdom of God. And we serve a king of a kingdom. And we don't just live in a place or a planet. We don't just participate with a cause or a club or a charity. We follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And so when we start to shift our paradigm and start to perceive and see this life differently than this world would say for us to live it, now we can start to operate in the opposition and start to stop wishing it away, but start saying, okay, what is this? That you want to get to me through this. Because some people would say that the Sermon on the Mount was good instruction, great information, but Jesus didn't share it for information, He shared it for transformation that our lives would look like his life. And he says, if they've rejected you, just remember, they'll reject me. And if they listen to me, they'll listen to you. And so when we abide in this belief that we can see things shift in our minds, then we can start to walk it out because the gravity effect takes place and it gets to our heart and starts pumping through our veins and it'll work its way to our hands and we'll walk it out in this life. And it takes a real radical paradigm shift. But God is greater. Amen? There's, there's a few areas that I think sometimes we can see things like difficulties and persecutions and opposition. As, as we endure them, we don't sign up to follow Jesus for them but they're a natural byproduct of being in him. And, and, and sometimes we can oppose this process. We can be in opposition for, of the blessing of understanding the burden of persecution, and we can start to operate it in a, in a, a myriad of ways. Number one, I have th- three quick thoughts before I get into the real three points. You know, preacher problems, hashtag where you at. Struggle's real. But recreationally vocationally, and domestically, right? Recreationally, I don't know if you're like me, but I used to play sports, right? These days, I'm surprisingly athletic, right? My, my arm still hurts from the men's retreat and we were playing basketball, and uh, I just kept shooting. Sometimes you gotta shoot out of it, right? I'm 0 for 12, but guess what? Number 13 went in. Yep. <laughs> we don't serve the God of second chances. We serve the God of new beginnings. Give me the ball. <laughs> and... Uh, but I remember playing sports. I never lost, ever. I either won or got robbed. Anybody ever been there? Hey, how'd the game go? We won. Yeah, we the champs, so we ain't the champs no more. Okay, great, calm down. Yeah. What happened today? How was your game? We got robbed, man. Those guys are cheaters, right? If you're really competed, competitive, you'll say, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? <laughs> I was doing 67. What was the speed limit? 65, how dare he give me a ticket? <laughs> Anyways, and, and so I, I would say I either won or got robbed. It was the referees, right? And so it was always somebody else's wrongdoing that, that stopped me from getting my blessing, right? So, you know, recreationally. But what, what, about, what about the concept of vocationally, right? I met a friend. Uh, he, 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 his whole life he wanted to be a police officer. Would dress up as a police officer around this time of year and go out, get candy. And, you know, he he kept aspiring to be a police officer and got to the point where he just, yeah, he was excited to be a police officer. He's like, I'm going to look good in this uniform. Girls are going to go crazy for me in this uniform. and. And then he got in, he got in and went to the academy and got through, uh, you know, the academy, the police academy, got to the other side and got on his assignment. And a couple weeks into his work as an actual police officer, he and I talk and he goes, I'm quitting. I go, you're quitting? He goes, yeah. I go, tell me why. He goes, there's people out there that don't listen and they're trying to hurt me. (laughs) What do you think you were signing up for? domestically, right, where all my mamas at, yeah. When you're in the midst of labor and you want to lay it at the cross and say, I'm done, I tap out, I don't want to do this anymore, and all the nurses are like, you can do it, and you're like, I can't do it. And then it's your spouse's fault, right? It was you. I'm just trying not to pass out. It's too hard. I quit. I want to be done, please. Can I get an epidural? Well, honey, you already had one. Put it in my head. (laughs) But the most beautiful Things this world has ever known came through the most painful process. And birth comes through a trying, painful time that you have to endure extreme pain. And in this life, you're going to deal with many difficulties and oppositions and persecutions. But the problem is our perspective, that we need to shift our paradigm and just start to see these things the way that Jesus says we need to see these things because he says they are blessings. What? I knew this Jesus thing was crazy. Journey with me. If you're here and you're inquiring of Christianity, I believe you're in the right place and he will help us unpack this. Go with me now to Matthew chapter five. We'll be in the beginning portions. I just want to read briefly from the top of about verse three, but we'll land In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it starts off and it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, what? How can I be blessed for being poor in spirit? I came here because I didn't feel blessed and I felt really poor in spirit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, blessed are those who understand their their poorness, this position of lack in the spirit, because when you know what you lack, you know you can go to the love of God and get your need met. So this perspective has to shift. We don't say, boo hoo, poor me, I'm poor in spirit, but he says, no, 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 you have a blessing because you have a perspective that shift and you start to see that this was the thing that brought you to the one who holds it all, the blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What? I'm blessed because I mourn? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blessed are those who understand their depravity that their sinful life of suffering is now lifted and redeemed from the cross of Christ. Blessed are those who understand the significance of the depth of their distance from God, but because God came near, oh my gosh, I am in the graces of the King. So blessed are us who understand all that we've been saved from. Anybody been saved uh, from some, some stuff in their life? These things are significant. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And verse 10 is where we pick it up here today. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom Of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Woo! How many of you are excited? Come on. You're like, I can't wait to go back to work. (laughs) Verse 12: Rejoice! Be glad! Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're gonna shift. Our perspective, our paradigm, we, our whole paradigms need to shift to start see what this world would say is a curse, to start to see it as the blessing of God. That we would understand that no weapon formed against us will prosper. He never said it wouldn't prosper. He, he said it wouldn't prosper, but he never said it wouldn't hurt and we let the hurt dictate how we operate all too many times. But he's saying, if you can see this as I see this, you won't allow your circumstances to determine your inside security and your outside continuation of living this thing out. And it requires us to commit ourselves to, to carrying our cross, to learning what Jesus did in his death, resurrection, that he gave us the power to continue to persevere through persecution. And we have to have a persecution perspective that allows us to see things not as they're happening to us, but they're happening for us. To not learn something new, not to gain more information and have an intellectual ascend, but to have a life transformation encounter with the living God. And I got a couple things that I want to encourage us in today. And the way that we can capture this understanding and allow our paradigms to shift is that we have to learn how to keep Praying. Number one, write this down if you would. We need to learn how to keep praying. Again, Matthew 5, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it like this. When we lack a true prayer life, we will not survive persecution. And righteousness by way of a a, a simple breakdown, is right standing with God. When you are righteous, it's not because of your right doing, it's because Jesus went right up on the cross and took the punishment of the payment of sin Conquered hell, death, and the grave. Rose again. Gave us new life. And now he says, when you stand praying and petitioning your father, he doesn't see you as your sins deserve. He sees his son standing in your place. And now we can stand firm and sure. But when you face persecution, and friends, let me just say it like this. You will face persecution when you are allowing the character qualities of Christ to be lived out in your life, people are gonna have a problem with that. They, they just will. Why? Because everybody rejects what they don't understand or fear. This is racism too. We reject what we don't understand or are fearful of. And so when, when we have opposition and persecution of people outside of the faith, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. But he says the way that we can endure, push past our enduring of these difficulties is to stay committed to Christ. Why? Because when we stay in a commitment of conversation through prayer with Jesus, we will have the strength to endure through any problem that we face. And people are not our problems. But what about that person that sends the passive aggressive email? Every Tuesday, and CC's my, my, my manager. I, I don't know if it's necessarily you or if it's just them. Because I don't think that was an anomaly. I think that was just called Tuesday for them. Matter of fact, there's friends that are going to have a problem no matter what. It's not going to just be Tuesday. It'll be any other day that starts with T, like Thursday. Or, or, or maybe today or or Tomorrow. Some of you work the weekends, and it's Saturday and Sunday, and you, these people got a problem every day of the week. And, and I will say it really clearly, is that sometimes we make mountains out of molehills, but I would say also, we make molehills out of mountains. And this thing called persecution, though you may not be like in a country where you're going to get killed for your faith, you are oppositionally opposed in every regard. Anybody else the crazy Christian in your family? I might be the crazy Christian in your family, who knows, come on. But there's real opposing forces that are demonically released over your worlds. And if you're not a threat to the devil, then you're probably not abiding in the character qualities of Christ. Don't throw anything. And this thing called righteousness, right, this right standing. James 5, 6 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Come on. This is vulnerability. But then it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And sin should bring us to prayer. And it shouldn't lead us away from God. It should bring us to God. And that's where his healing is held, in the intimate connection of a covenant relationship between you and him. How committed am I to my marriage if I don't converse with my spouse? There is a need to audibly engage to stay in this place of connection, and we need to learn to keep leaning in with prayer. Because he says this is where you learn the character qualities of Christ in his presence. And he says his righteousness now is powerful and effective. And this is how you can stand firm and sure in the face of persecution. And prayer is your place of validation from God so that we can stand and stare in the face of anything that tries to come against us and not just see it as pain or a problem. But now our paradigm shifts and we start to see that burden as a blessing. Why? Because it will force us to come to a place where we get on our face before Jesus and say, God, I need your help. I got some problems, some people that are doing some things. Will you help? Me and my my wife, sometimes we try to teach our kids like the best place when you have a problem with one of your siblings to go is you need to come to us. But oftentimes, they try to handle it themselves. And then somebody's crying and has mucus and saline coming out of their face. And somebody else is upset. And, and, and the person that started the problem could have been exposed. But now, because of their collaboration, they're both in trouble. And so now we, we say things, just, just go tell dad, right? Some of you are facing some persecution that you would associate the problem with the person. Let me just tell you this. That person is not your problem. Our problem is, is that we don't, we're going to the wrong person and we're fighting our own battles. Go tell daddy on him. Go talk to your heavenly father that actually can do something about it. He can change hearts, minds, lives, reorientate the whole thing. Or maybe he can even get him out of the way. But that's not for us to determine. We stay faithful and obedient, standing firm in the face of persecution, and we allow God to determine the results. But we need to keep praying, pressing in, believing. Our job is to stand firm, right? I don't know if you've seen this. I'm sure you have in seasons of past when windstorms would come in and big trees would be blown over. And you're like, what in the world? That thing was huge. How did that thing blow over? And then come to find out there were a bunch of trees around it previously and a few of them got chopped down. And now some strong winds came in and blew over the big one in the middle. And like, how did that happen? Shallow roots. And our roots grow deep in a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And our paradigm will shift to this place where we start to understand my engagement is through going to this place of trusting God for all that's going on around me. Circumstances will not determine how I operate. Circumstances will remind me of who I need to go to for my help. Because the taller the trees, the bigger the winds. And the more we go up, the more we give up rights for responsibilities. And as followers of Jesus, we forfeit the right In this regard, to continue to believe God that what you're enduring will not defeat you, but it will destroy the forces against you and build the inner man that he's placed in you. And this is where we get strengthened in our faith. This is the place where we have a deep commitment to Christ. And oftentimes... It's not Christ's character in me that's being persecuted. It's the lack of Christ's character in me that we can attribute the persecution to. Well, I'm a Christian, but why do you act like that? We identify under this guise or this label, but yet our behavior is disjointed and incongruent with the character of Christ. We cannot continue to allow our character to not be transformed to Christ. And the place that we can go to learn how to stand right in this way is in an intimate connection and relationship with Jesus. And this is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And some of you might have signed up for this thing because you thought it was going to make your life easier and you were going to get a boat out of the deal. Come on, if you have one, come talk to me. I talked about that before. about. But this isn't about the blessings of this world. This is about the supernatural, eternal blessings of heaven and how he wants to help not just get you to heaven. He wants to get heaven in you to get heaven through you to other people. And we can't allow the circumstances to determine the way that we continue to live our life. Number two is this. We need to learn to keep planting. Learn to keep planting. Matthew 5.11 says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I just read that and I laugh. Because I'm like, none of us would sign up for this if we knew at the, the, the onset that this is what we were getting into. None of us would say, oh yeah, that's what it's like to have a life in Jesus? Sign me up, brother. I'm all about it. Yeah. Insults, persecution, rejection, uh, false accusations against me. Hallelujah. <laughs> but here's what God knows about us to get us into this place is he will allow these hardships and circumstances and situations that are surrounding us, to get us to a place that we will come and go, God, I need you. I'm poor in spirit. I mourn my, this spiritual life outside of you, and I need you to save me. And he will save us. He saves us to sustain us, to satisfy us, to send us back in to do the will of God and to allow us to be a beacon of hope in a dark place. But your light can only shine (laughs) when you go into the dark areas. And we stop planting because it's not producing in front of us. You don't sow and reap in the same season. And I just think sometimes this worldly rejection and persecution We just start to think, ah, I don't want to engage with it. I don't want to add insult to injury. I don't want to over engage because, you know, I just want everybody to be happy. Clap along if you feel that happiness is the truth. (laughs) Because I'm happy. Well, he didn't call us to be peacekeepers. He called us to be peacemakers. And we got to keep planting to allow his power to continue to produce and we think I don't want to touch it I don't want to mess with that person anymore the problem is is that that this society this culture that we live in is so convincing that that it's the combativeness of a comfort compared to abiding in the call and 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 the easy win when it comes to comfort or the call is that the comfort is here and now I can remove that. I don't have to engage with that. I can absolutely find a comfort, my happy place. You know, you can even interpret this word blessed or blessed as happy. That's not a bad interpretation. I just don't think in our context it helps us understand what true blessing in God is because we think like marriage. You know what got you down the aisle was romantic love the hope of happiness. But you know what keeps you happily married? Sacrificial love that leads to our holiness, right? It hones us. It refines us. It, it chastens us. It shapes us into a more like image of Jesus. What does an image of Jesus looks like? It looks like the person that does not acquiesce or back down in the face of opposition. They keep planting in spite of circumstance. And even if you don't see it popping up and the seeds that you've sown. The Bible says if you, 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 you reap or you sow in tears, you will reap in rejoicing. We get to rejoice and we get to remember. We get to understand it's not about my comfort. It's about the call. It's that we forget about the love of Jesus that he so graciously lavished on us. We forget how loved we are. More young ladies that I've met with in my life start dating Turkeys, I'll call them turkeys. (laughs) With no character, no job. (laughs) And it's because they don't understand the love of their father. And so they go looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm going to stop, okay? But we have to remember the love and be so connected to it. Romans 8.35 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is the words of Apostle Paul. He says trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness. Remember, nakedness is always connected to shame in the scriptures. Not physical nakedness. says, or danger of the sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as the sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He's saying, you're not just conquerors. You're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And how you know that you're more than a conqueror is that you know all his love. And it goes on in verse 38, and this is Paul. He says, for I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let me just say this. We need to get more convinced of his love for us. We need to be more convicted and convinced of how good he is to us. Because if you know how loved you are, you won't need the acceptance of other people's loves. And the comfort that we oftentimes are willing to trade the call for is just not wanting to be difficult or that guy, or you just want the emails to stop, or maybe you just want an invitation to something that everybody else is getting invited to this is the blessing of God that builds an intimate connection with him and he reveals in us the power of his goodness and it shifts our perspective to allow us to know that w- this place is not our home that we're just passing by. Paul or Peter talks about this a lot in his in some of the books that he writes. He's like this life is but a vapor and heaven is our home. We're aliens in this life. This is not our Final resting place. This is not the position that we have come to find ourselves to live in forever. But yet we take up deep residency in this place when we were never called to. We're here on assignment and we have to keep planting. Third and finally, we don't just keep learning how to pray or learning how to plant. But we have to learn how to keep proclaiming. We have to learn how to keep proclaiming. Matthew 5 again in verse 12. says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I, I don't know how that's encouraging to think like, okay, other people took some hits and went through some stuff and endured some persecution, how is that supposed to make me rejoice and be glad? Because he says this whole thing is about heaven. Jesus came and the conversation that he's having of the Sermon on the Mount is to help us understand that there's a kingdom and a king and that this earth is not our home. That heaven is our home, that we come here to build our kingdom and realize that we're sitting on the throne of our own lives and we're missing the part that we're supposed to play in the greater kingdom of God. And so when we understand how poor we are in spirit and that we mourn for the sin that separates us from God and we come to this place of acceptance of Jesus in our life. Then we start saying, God's good, he saved me, he delivered me, he healed me, he's working in me. Man, I'm, I might not be where I should be, but I'm not where I could be. And because of his goodness, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to share with someone else. I'm going to do whatever I can do to make sure somebody knows about the love of Jesus in their life too. And so when you understand this, you you start to believe it to a greater degree, you start to belong to it at a higher margin, and now you start to really learn to proclaim it. But the problem is, is we base our involvement on people's receptivity. And it's never about anyone else's receptivity, it's about our willingness to stay faithful to what he's called us to do in the face of persecution. 2 Corinthians 2.16 says it like this, To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume, and who is adequate for such a task as this. But the anointing of God on your life, I've shared on this several weeks ago, but it's all about anointing, In in the scriptures and what we know today has an association with oil. Oil came from olives, olive oil. My favorite reindeer is olive. Olive the other reindeer. That's terrible. But the anointing on your life has a fragrance. It's distinct and unique to you and who God's created you to be in this life. He's anointed you. The authentic version of you has the anointing of God, which is the power of God. And it has a fragrance, it has an aroma. And because of the aroma on your life, he says it's life to some and death to others. And some of you are running down people that are running away from you and it's because the aroma on your life is repelling them. That's not your assignment. You need to keep proclaiming where he's put his anointing on you and identify who are compelled to come to you. And when you understand that it's, it's life to some and death to others, you, you get out of the business of figuring out who's who and you just start reaching and touching those that are around you. And you start to understand the concentric circles of influence that God's placed on your life, that you're proclaiming comes by way of proximity. Did you know that the demonic... Forces care more about the places than they do the people. There's a portion of scripture where it's known as the demoniac, right? It, it says that Jesus comes across the water, gets off the boat, and he's met there face to face. And and this guy, he, he says, what would you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And he falls down on his face and Jesus says, come out of the man. And, and the, the demon, he says, wait a minute, who are you? He says, we are legion for we are many. And he says, don't, Don't make me leave this place. Let us go into the pigs. And this is the first sign of deviled ham ever in existence, just so you know. I'm really funny today. But he says, don't don't make us leave this place. Let us go into the pigs. And he cast the demons into the pigs, and the pigs run down the hillside and go in the water. And the demonic was more concerned with where they possessed than who they possessed. And wherever you go, the power of God by his grace is anointed you to be the person that would proclaim his goodness and his glory. Wherever you go, you are called, you are anointed and you have the power of God. And then we go, yeah, hallelujah, pastor. But what does that look like practically? (laughs) Great question, I'm glad you asked. There's another friend in the Bible. His name is Moses. Moses, in the Old Testament, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And he too went up a mountainside to hear from God, to come down to give clear instruction to the people. The people of Israel were encaptured and enslaved to the Egyptians. Moses was a lowly person. He was a sheep herder. And on the the scale of what it means to be a position in the hierarchy of society he lived at the lowest level as a sheep herder but yet god chose him to speak to him to use him to deliver people and he asked god like god i don't think i can do this like i'm i'm kind of not that good at talking <laughs> he's like don't worry i'll give you someone to talk you do what i called you to do well, who do I tell them that sent me? I am. So he's asking questions to try to get out of the situation, basically. But he comes back to this place in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff, into his hand. This, he said to the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. What he is saying is that for Moses to keep proclaiming, the connection personally and the willingness to plant persistently, he's gonna afford you the ability to proclaim diligently. And he's asking us the question today, what's in your hand? Well, the problem is is that what's in our hand is usually the gift. The gift, whether it's natural gifts, spiritual gift, whether it's a, a treasure, monetary value wealth he says what's in your hand and then he says throw it down why does he do that he identifies that we become quick to worship gifts and not the giver of gifts we get quick to look for the comfort of the gift and not the one who came to die on a cross to give you the gift And so he says, throw it down. You need not to idolize anything that's been given to you. If it's in your resource, it's from the one who made all resources. But he says, you need to get past that point so that you can pick it back up. I gave it to you because I knew that you were going to need it. And he says, pick it back up. And it turns back into a staff. Meek, meager, humble, Moses. The thing that was in his hand is the thing that God used to help deliver people. That same staff is the staff that he used to part the Red Sea. That staff is the same staff that he used to crack that rock in the wilderness. The staff, the thing that he put in his hand is the power of God for him to continue to proclaim the glory of grace. In the face of opposition, there are people hunting him down, coming to kill him and all the people that he's coming to deliver. But God shows up in a moment's notice. He wants to give us everything we need in this life to see the world differently, to shift our perspectives, to say this is not a curse, this is my Christ who's working his character in me and doing what only he can do through the outside circumstances to raise up the glory of his grace in my life so that we will see the blessings of God to know that he's called us To continue to carry the call forward. That you're going to face opposition. You're going to face battles. You're going to deal with these persecutions. But it is to produce in us a paradigm shift. To start to see things as he sees things. Amen. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes.